Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are going to wrap up chapter 21 this week in the Gospel of Matthew. So we've got uh, the parable of the two sons and the parable of the tenants to work through today, which will take us verses 28 through the end, which is verse 46. Then we get into chapter 22 next week. So as all things, I am out and uh, in the sunny beaches in Florida as you are listening to this episode and I've escaped the brutal and harsh winter of Iowa because as I record this right now it's snowing again outside so I'm looking forward to this and uh, we've got about 18 or 20 inches of snow on the ground already we're supposed to get three more today it wasn't supposed to start snowing for another couple hours but it's already coming down so yeah go me all right let's get into it verses 28 through 32 is the parable of the two sons. We're going to look at that, and then we'll just keep reading until the end of the chapter. We'll put a little bit of a break in there so you can see the separation of sections here. Um, and that's really it. Uh, before we get into the meat, the only thing I'd recommend is checking out the Saturday shows. Uh, if you're following along with us on Bible in a year, we're just doing weekly recaps. So nothing strenuous, no in-depth, deep uh, theological dives, just simply recaps. So let's get to it. Verse 28. What do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of his father? And they said, the Pharisees, the first, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. So remember last week, we talked about the authority of Jesus being challenged and in that viewpoint, they are, Jesus turns and pivots the question and essentially puts the Pharisees and the scribes into a corner about the baptism of John. So he keeps that theme going of John the Baptist and gives another clarification here in verses 28 through 32. So 
parable here in this uh, is contrasting a more pious reaction of the tax collectors and the prostitutes to John's preaching than the hard-heartedness of his adversaries. So uh, it's a pretty straightforward parable. The prostitutes and tax collectors responded positively to the preaching of John, whereas the Pharisees and scribes reacted negatively. So in verse 29, uh, we have the first son changing his mind. So this is a Greek term here used to express regret or remorse. The son changes his mind and behavior and goes and does his father's will. We could also sense or establish that this could be a form of repentance where he says that uh, he does not want to go, but then afterwards decides, repents, turns from his way and decides to go and actually do the job. Uh, then in verse 31, um, we get to the conclusion of it, right? So the second son said he would go, but decides not to. So which one is doing the will of the father? So the father here represents God. Jesus implicitly asks who within Israel has better discerned and fulfilled God's will, the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes or the Pharisees and the scribes. Notorious sinners would be the first to that it is those who need the physician, right? Jesus makes that pretty clear in, elsewhere in the Gospels that it is not the, the healthy and able-bodied who go see a physician, but it is the sick and dying who go see them. And the prostitutes and the tax collectors being those sickly and dying folk, the notorious sinners, they are the ones who seek salvation, the ones who seek to be reconciled with God. Whereas the Pharisees and scribes think that they already have that, but they have deceived themselves into a, a false reality. So the Pharisees and the, and the scribes have neglected the preaching. They would essentially be the um, combination essentially of the two, right? Because they say that they will go, but then they just ultimately do not. But then they also say that they're not going to go and they don't. It's kind of like a, you know, they, they it, I, like I say it all the time, the best line Jesus gives is when he calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs because on the outside they're all beautiful and delicate and, you know, they're splendorous and glorious to look at, but on the inside they're rotten and decaying and just uh, disgusting. And so that's what the Pharisees are often described as. But it is the tax collectors and the, fair, and the prostitutes here that go and do the will of God. And... It's interesting by representing such vile characters to be more uh, pious than the opponents that Jesus has. And Jesus is now putting his opponents and painting them in the worst possible light. He's saying that you are lower than the tax collectors, which are hated people, and the prostitutes, which are pretty close to that too. The prostitutes were, were not looked upon favorably in this culture. They were highly frowned upon, and this was done both by men and women. In fact, I had I just submitted my post for a book review, and uh, this book was a pile of garbage that I had to read. It was uh, Jesus and Women Beyond Feminism. If you go to Instagram, you can watch my review of it. What's really sad is how the author pits women against men, and she essentially is making man to be the root of all evil and just the most despised and hated person in all of creation and how women are so righteous and glorious and that even prostitutes and sex workers are uh, highly sought and favorable. Well, in some light, yes, if you compare them to the Pharisees of this story, they are the ones who received the glorious 
message of John the Baptist and received it with open arms and welcoming arms. But the work that they do is still a heinous sin in the eyes of God. Just as much as the Pharisees and scribes are heinous sinners, the tax collectors and Pharisee, uh, prostitutes are as well. And so the prostitutes and tax collectors are repenting. And as Matthew here, Matthew was a tax collector. He turned from that occupation and comes to Christ. And so I actually, uh, this Sunday here coming up, uh, so I'm like, I'm recording this a week in, in advance. This Sunday, I'll be preaching Mark one and it's the, the calling of the first apostles, but it's more so the establishment of the kingdom of God being at hand. And the premise to the sermon really is going to be a focus on what is the priority that we have in life. And I've kind of touched base on this a few times in sermons, but it really is something that needs to be reiterated multiple times because uh, we, we often forget that Christ ought to be the most important piece. The, the instances of the apostles just leaving and vacating their, uh, their occupations to serve the gospel is indicative of what we should be doing. Now, I'm not saying we have to all go quit our jobs and go into missionary work. What I'm saying is Christ has to be at the forefront of all of our things. And whatever job and whatever task, whatever career we have, we be we, we, we should be doing it in service to our neighbors and in service to Christ. That should be our focus. That's what should be uh, what motivates us. So the tax collectors and the prostitutes are the one that receive the message and they um, are the ones welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, whereas the Pharisees and scribes have been painted in a, uh, in a very, very, very bad light and have essentially forsaken the Messiah. And we talked a little bit about that last week. So verse 32, he concludes it for John came in the way of righteousness and you do not believe him. So according to John the Baptist, this involves preparing to receive the coming Messiah, turning from the sin and producing a fruit of repentance. He does so through the baptism that he does. And the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. Many people embraced John's message, including these notorious sinners. And the opponents to Jesus, however, persist in their rejection of John and Christ. That is cut and dry right there. Jesus graphically depicts the uh, obstinance of his opponents and the depth of their sin by rejecting him. There are times that our stubborn refusals to change our behavior are just as obstinate. In God's kingdom, no repentant sinner has ever turned away. Repentant tax collectors and prostitutes are always welcome. Therefore, so are we. Chief of sinners, though I may be, Jesus shed his blood for me. I love this hymn because it really resonates true. We, we are all the chief sinner. We all have fallen short of the glories of God. Paul makes it pretty clear in Romans 3. It is by his mercy and his grace that we are welcomed into the kingdom. And it is by his grace that we can have repentance. It is by his grace that we can have the forgiveness of sin and salvation. We are turning ourselves from unbelief to belief, and we are turning ourselves from our sins and turning to him and walking in a righteous light. All right, so the parable of the tenants. Um, I did not read that, actually, now that I think about it. I just kind of dug right into those first few verses. Let's get it on to 33 through the end here. Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. 
Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will we do? What will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let the vineyard and other tenants who will, uh, who will give him the fruits of the seasons. Jesus said to him, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? It was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in their eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people, producing its fruits. And the one who falls on its stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls, when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So we have this parable, another one, quite a lot of them actually in scripture, which is fine. But, uh, we move in, and now we see um, this this uh, kind of positioning here of the accusers that Jesus has, and he continues with this parable, and it becomes a little bit more devastating, borrowing imagery from the prophets being repeatedly used to depict Israel's disobedience and hatred. And so the uh, servants that are sent back to the vineyard would be the prophets who uh, would come and they would be rejected by Israel, right? So the prophets come in, they preach, and Israel doesn't like the message because it's causing them to have to give up their sin, and uh, they turn. So, you know, a good illustration would just be looking at Isaiah 5, chapters 1, uh, chapters 5, verses 1 through 5. So the master of the house, verse 33, the landowner who leases out his land, this is symbolizing who God is, obviously, uh, the tenants are sharecrops or people who represent the unbelieving religious leaders. And these are the ones who oppose Jesus. So they are being addressed here now for the seasons of fruit. This is a time of harvest. Previously specified uh, portion of the harvest would be uh, arranged for payment. And so, you know, upon the master leasing this land, the um the tenants would then have to prepare so much of it and send it back to the master for payment. And they decide to obviously hold on to the land in a greedy fashion. Uh, so the servants killed by these stonings represent the Old Testament prophets. The stoning was punishment to a variety of religious infractions in ancient Israel, including defiling, defiling holy space, as indicated in Exodus 19.13, idolatry in Leviticus 20, Practicing satanic arts in Leviticus 20, 27 and blasphemy Leviticus 4, 24 verses 14 through 16 and verse 23. This underlines that the rebellious tenants and their master held to different religious beliefs and practices. And so they kill one, stone another and beat one. So God sent many prophets to the wayward Israel. Many of them were rejected and many were, violent, were treated very violently. And the kind of thought then from this master in this parable is, I will send my son. They surely won't kill him. So an emissary par excellence is 
being sent. This is God's own son. And this is who deserves the most respect, the highest of all respects. And yet they will in sin and in turn here beat him and uh, have him executed too. And so this is really just, again, the demonstration of Israel's relationship to God, and it is not a good one. So Jesus has, uh, would be put to death similarly here uh, outside the walls of Jerusalem as and becomes the first Christian martyr, uh, Stephen, in Acts 7. So both Stephen and Jesus killed outside the walls of Jerusalem. And this is the, this is the relationship that Israel has. This is the reality. They've rejected God. They've rejected the prophets. And they kill everybody who God sends to them. And it's, it's sad because even to this day, they still reject the Messiah. When we have um, ir, irrefutable proof of who Jesus is and what he's done, inside and outside of Scripture. And, and yet they continue to reject his message. And they still look for a Messiah when they know no Messiah is going to be given to them. And they reject even some of the Old Testament passages because they know it points to Christ. And so this parable is really a great demonstration of the history of Israel, that God is sending all of these people to the vineyard to collect and in, in a sense really to, to prepare a way to call them back to seek what is God's. And the landowners, these people in Israel, reject him. And so Christ will be put to death and uh, you'll, you know, just as much um, as the rest of the prophets were. And then we have you know, Stephen who would be stoned outside of the walls of Jerusalem, just like Jesus was killed outside Jerusalem. There's a passage in Luke where Jesus makes a statement that, you know, the prophets are killed outside of Jerusalem, but outside of the city walls. They put them to death out there. And essentially it's kind of like a, we didn't, we don't want to kill them in the Holy city. We want to take them outside of the Holy city and kill them. And that is what will ultimately happen to Jesus here in a few short days. So as I mentioned last week, we are at Monday. And so we are working through this shortened time schedule now of the life of Jesus. So Jesus's rhetorical question in verses 40 through 41 when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And then they obviously respond that he will put those miserable wretches to death, is what the Pharisees say. And so the rhetorical question that Jesus asks about the fate of the wicked tenants forces his opponents to pronounce their own sentence, right? So they themselves are signing their death sentence here. The harsh punishment perfectly fits with such a wicked crime. Even at that, forgiveness is repeatedly offered to those who condemn Jesus. And this is seen all throughout the book of Acts. And what's really interesting is the Pharisees still reject Christ even after the death and resurrection. They just continuously push that whole truth, that whole narrative out because it doesn't fit and it doesn't make them feel comfortable or happy or whatever the reason may be. Obviously, we, we've just discussed how they in their eyes cannot believe that a man being Jesus Christ could forgive them of their sin or could die for their sins. However, we know that Christ wasn't just merely a man. He was Christ, the incarnation, fully man, fully God, the hyperstatic union was able to uphold the law perfectly 
take our sins from us and be crushed under the wrath of God for those sins, then rising from the grave on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit. So glorious uh, story to take place. However, the Pharisees and the scribes simply want to uh, reject it. So Jesus is indeed a prophet, but so much more. And thus this parable becomes, uh, as well as the following one, as we'll get into chapter 22, the parable of the wedding feast will identify him as God's son. Jesus warns his opponents that rejecting him will ultimately lead to their exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. Judgment is based on one's reaction to Jesus. Those rejecting him are excluded from God's kingdom and are co-signed to the only other option in eternity apart from God in hell. His great wisdom and mercy, God used the murder of his own son to work salvation, and he used the rejection of Israel's leaders to hasten the extension of the kingdom to the Gentiles. So a beautiful little kind of caveat, if you would, to the end of this chapter, that by the rejection of the Pharisees and by Israel's rejection, ultimately, um, we get this... Uh, the, 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 what I want to say here, the, the gospel being sent into the world by Israel's rejection. We have Paul coming on the scene shortly as he was a Pharisee who rejected Christ, but then encounters him in the book of Acts and the road to Damascus, then goes on to become the greatest apostle to the Gentile people. He goes on to write a majority of the New Testament through all of his epistles, influencing the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts and planting a a number of churches and helping raise up a number of churches. And so this was huge by just merely Israel's rejection. It allows the the grafting in of the Gentiles, as he will later write in the book of Romans. So, you know, it's it's always interesting to kind of hack through and and break down some of these... um, uh, these portions, if you would, of the text. And it's good to see the connections that they have with other scripture. And it's good to see the connections that they have in the modern day and how these parables have influenced God in working through his disciples and through these people and encouraging the growth of Christianity through all the lands. So, you know, it's just, I, I'm always marveling when I read scripture, no matter how many times I've read these passages, it's always an impacting form. Like today I worked through um, Genesis and I believe her like in the early twenties and it's just, you know, we just got through Sodom and Gomorrah, but it, what's always interesting is the mercy that God shows to his people and the continuing love that he has for those who have embraced him. But those who reject him, who reject his word and reject his promises and reject Christ will face the wrath of God. And that's just what the reality of the world is. So again, two weeks of short episodes, but really uh, we, we just went through all of chapter 21 in three weeks. So we've, you know, move, we're moving right along as at a good speed, I think. And next week we're going to take on 22 and we'll work through that context. And then, um, 24 and 25 being the Olivet Discourse. I don't want to spend a whole chunk of time on there, but we'll do enough. And I'll obviously point you back to the series on eschatology. 
that we uh, have done on the show in years past. Um, if you're interested in actually watching me teach those via live YouTube or by recorded YouTube, if you can't make it to the live, you can join us on Patreon. And for a dollar a month, you can get access to me teaching them to the church that I pastor as we're going through that series right now uh, in our Bible study. So if you want to see it live, it'll be a little bit new, a little bit fresh, and uh, some revisiting of older text. So come join us uh, on that if you want. It's just patreon.com forward slash and dine light. The information is in the show notes. You don't have to. I don't, you know, whatever you do or not do, it's up to you. It's, it's on you. But uh, it's just an option to be a part of that part of the industry, ministry. So that's it. I'm stumbling over myself. I'm going to jump out of here and probably go get some lunch. So hope you guys have a great weekend and make sure you get into church, partake in the sacraments and rest in the peace and knowledge that Christ has forgiven you of your sins. Until next week, have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.